Alpes Patel, I'm a CEO and founder of Roku Health. Uh, we are a healthcare technology company that uh, provides the healthcare ecosystem as uh, Catherine mentioned earlier. We provide our B2B partners uh, technology solution that can customizable and provide them a complete healthcare on technologies. So that's about me. I think we already heard uh, Kathleen yep. uh, yeah, give we, her we, introduction. We should mention Cheyenne. Dr. Uh, Bias actually had damage to his home during Hurricane Ian, so he was not able to make it. And I feel bad about that because he's a rock star, awesome physician and been in telehealth a long time. He's the Chief Medical Quality and Innovations for uh, Teladoc Health, um, which is actually a Microsoft partner. Um, so I just want to shout out to him. So hopefully everything's okay with his house. Yeah. So we can start. Uh, um. So I'll start with the first question. So our title today is Insider's Perspective to Hybrid Care. So Alpesh, uh, and I'm, I'm not on my phone. I'm actually reading the questions. I don't want people to think I'm a millennial and rude. Um, <laughs> sorry, because I'm really not. Um, hybrid care today treats the disease. Can we apply technology and AI to expand and improve a person's overall health care? Yeah. So hybrid care is all about technology. Uh, Pre-COVID, we never thought about hybrid care. This all thing started after the COVID. You know, COVID as we will hear this during this conference, uh, COVID uh, made things possible faster in healthcare, not just in the technology in healthcare, but everywhere else. Healthcare, it was fast moving. It took us five to seven years ahead. So hybrid care, as you heard the speaker, starting with Catherine, she said uh, perfectly fine. Like if you involve all the stakeholders, uh, in uh, care, you can create ecosystem, and you can uh, provide solutions as uh, uh, Sudeep mentioned uh, that can combine everything in one platform. Hybrid care can be uh, provided. It will help technology and AI side. We already see that uh, last week we we looked at the AI in dermatology. Picture AI is also helping with uh, capturing data for the uh, diet food. So AI can help, uh, and AI is all based on the data. So how good information and data you put into the system. So I would say after five to six years, this hybrid care model will go towards the more like virtual care, just like pre-COVID, it was all retail-based and 90% retail-based, 10% uh, virtual. It, after five to seven years, hybrid care model will go more 90% towards virtual and 10% towards retail. Yeah, I agree. I think that we'll see um, people that, where you can do virtual care, um, they will do virtual care versus in-person. Um, and I think that the technology, um, Dr. Schmidt talked about like the Kinect camera and the HoloLens and then, you know, even your phone, like I think the iPhone 14 and the Pixels, the cameras have gotten so much better that if I had like a skin wound or something like that, I could show my doctor and they'd actually be able to look at it. And there's other devices that they're connecting to phones, right? Stethoscopes and things like that, which is pretty So cool. I always like to uh, compare health with wealth. Just think of like Chase Bank came up with that depositing your check first time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So as technology will evolve, you know, you see a lots of digital health companies coming out, right? 
they're all coming out with a new technology or new innovation. So as technology will evolve, you have better data to put into AI, that will keep change the space and more towards virtual care in mind. Yeah, I agree. I think it's all about the data. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we have problems with the data, right? It's yeah. you know not accurate. It's or all about whatnot. how clean and how like what is like how good is your data? Right, right. So I think data governance, right? If we get to like brass tax change management, part of that is around data governance. Yeah, and I think the government will strict the rules and regulations around digital health. Also, you know, this is a, just the starting point. So I think uh, yeah. Kat uh, Katrine talked about the uh, compliance that should be strictened as the digital health grows. Um, there has to be a tight guidelines and governance towards the complete uh, virtual healthcare. Yeah, and Sandeep talked about uh, the FDA, software as a service. I have customers that are already worried about that. They're building models. What's the compliance going to be? How are they going to be able to manage that and monitor that? Um, and they're looking to like my company to help with those things because they don't think they have that ability to do it. Yeah, because during the COVID, you know, there are lots of digital health startups uh, that don't have a good uh, governance or compliance and data structures that started. And I think uh, the compliance should come in effect next year or year after next yeah. to control the companies how they actually provide care. Yeah, that would marry like the FDA for the devices. It took them about 18 months. So this just came out a couple weeks ago. So I think in 18 months, we'll, or a little bit shorter, maybe we'll start to yeah. see more clarity around so that. So Kathleen, I will have a question for you. Sure. Like, uh, I think you already answered how hybrid care, um, what are the good examples of hybrid care? And how do you think, uh, I was listening to your presentation, how do you see that will help the workforce? So, um, well, for hybrid care, I think one thing we need, we haven't touched on and we really should is that, you know, for me, the reason why it's so important is that um, we need to have the cloud because there's just so much data. You have to really be able to leverage, you know, some way to manage that data. So to me, it's all about the cloud, um, the, computational, um, the computational power that we have, right? There's a lot of compute available now that we never had before, the algorithms that are built. Um, how do we manage those algorithms? And then, of course, we've got all the privacy and safety issues, right? So I think that, or security issues, I think that, um, for me, that's why I think it's important. You need to have, like, that, that basis for hybrid. Um, I think that, the re and that's a really great question around the workforce. I don't know if I clearly answered that when I was speaking to it. Um, I think that the new models of care are going to allow our workforce to work more efficiently um, and really be able to work top of license. And we see it today in many and sundry um, within organizations where even um, I have customers that I work with that are doing virtual care at the bedside. So you have a patient who's actually in the hospital. Um, the nurses you know, are overwhelmed by the number of patients that are physically there. So they actually have brought in virtual nurses like via tablet to a patient to do things like discharge instructions, initial assessments, uh, specific documentation to kind of offload from the nurse that's on the floor that needs to do the hands-on care. Um, so I think that is, in my mind, that's kind of like a really classic hybrid, but the patient's <laughs> actually in the hospital, right? So it's inpatient care being done by a virtual nurse. Um, and the reason why I have hope for it is that 
organizations that I work with that are doing this are telling me like nurses are leaving in droves, they have a problem with attention, with attrition, um, just satisfaction, right, especially, and nurses are near and dear to my heart. So this obviously would cover any, you know, clinician, right? Um, and what they found is that like for two positions for the virtual nurse, they had 200 applicants, like they couldn't, and it was like overwhelming to them. For their normal position on the bedside, they have maybe one or two applicants. Mm -hmm. So there's really, I think, a supply and demand issue we might be able to meet here. So like hospital at home, that will also save a lot of cost to the system as well, right? Yeah, I think hospital in the home, hospital at home, um, or care anywhere, whatever you want to call it, is really going to uh, save tremendously um, because by you know essentially moving those patients into the home, um, you've eliminated a lot of the potential costs that you have. Um, you know, obviously there's things that will be incurred a little be a little bit different. Like you might have to change your supply chain a little bit. Maybe that'll help our supply chain be more efficient because you're going to have to manage getting equipment into the patient's home. Um, but actually, home care organizations have done that for a long time. So let me ask you, where do you see five to seven years digital health going? I think in five to seven years, um, we're going to see the baby boomers have aged out, right? So they're all kind of hitting, hitting yeah. that sweet and spot. And providers, you, it's not yeah. the stakeholder-only patient. Providers are getting old also. Correct, correct. And we have the digital natives that are coming on, and the digital natives are, I think, going to drive it, right? So it will be supply and demand. They're going to want digital health. They're going to want uh, more options and more opportunities um, to do, um, you know, if they do a face-to-face, -face, it'll probably be most likely virtual because that's what they're used to. Um, I totally see um, the opportunity for the metaverse to impact here. I don't know how. I know that's like a buzzword. Everybody says it. I don't know how that'll impact, but I definitely think that we'll see the metaverse. We talk about that at Microsoft we all the time. About, uh, we talk about VR in healthcare also. So, I mean, potentially... My, I could be sitting here, my doctor could be sitting there, but it would be the metaverse, right, within yeah. the metaverse and be able to do that. And um, I'm hoping that it'll kind of alleviate some of the pain that we're feeling right now within our workforce. Oh, hybrid care, I think when the po uh, COVID hit, I felt like, you know, it was a challenge for both patient and provider mm -hmm. because provider wasn't ready for big change from uh, going uh, virtual as same with the patient especially elder patient? Yeah, it was tough. Um, it, it was definitely tough for both. Um, I think patients actually in some ways may have adopted a little bit easier than providers. I was talking to providers that were trying to figure out their schedule, right? How do you fit in a virtual visit with in-person? Um, and then they actually figured it out, right? Maybe they do all their in-person visits in the morning and their virtuals in the afternoon. How do they complete their documentation with those virtual visits? It was nothing they had done previously, so they kind of had to learn. Um, I had providers that actually were in their homes doing virtual visits, and they did kind of like that opportunity rather than being in their office. Um, I think for the patients, um, we need to remember that when we put devices in homes, you know, we have to explain very clearly what they do uh, to the patient. We need to take into consideration, you know, if they're elderly, if they have any issues, say, with, like, dementia or memory or Alzheimer's, things like that, how can we help them um, and how can we help the families because, by moving patients into the home, we're offloading a lot of their care to their, their care providers or their families or whoever is caring for them. And if they don't have that support system, it can be very difficult. So we need to take that to, into consideration. Okay. I think uh, before Tori calls us, we should go. I'm good with that. Okay. Does anybody have any questions? Oh, wow. Okay. Go for it. So you talked a lot about technology. I'm wondering about the training side. How are providers being trained? 
Yeah, that's a good, really good point. And I don't necessarily know that they really are, right? Because we still have in nursing, and I, I can't, I'm not a physician, but we have physicians in the room where they still do the classic, right? Residency and internship, like obviously for nursing. Um, and that is a big problem that we see. Um, interprofessional education, how is that completed and how can we change it? And the, I spoke at the Biden Institute back in May um, and there were a lot of universities there and they're very concerned about that. So there's plenty of people trying to get into medical school and nursing school. We don't have enough spots because we don't have enough educators. Remember I talked about nurse educators are older. So is a 56 year old educator really gonna tell the 20 year old how they're <laughs> gonna do virtual care? Probably they don't know enough about it to, to do that. So that's a really good point. They are. They're um, actually the American Hospital Association as well, the AHA, um, because they just wrote their guidelines out for workforce, and a big part of it is how we're going to train the workforce because it's changed so much. That's a I really good point. I think both compliance side and education system side, there has to be a lot of changes to adopt uh, virtual care and telehealth. It has to be added both in education and the compliance guidelines. Correct. And there was another question? Yeah, go for it. So Correct. Yeah, I agree 100% with everything that you've said. Microsoft actually has a very large airband initiative, which is to get broadband out to especially rural areas, but I will also say urban areas, right? The inner city poor, they cannot afford broadband as well, and they also need telehealth. So it's a, it is definitely across the board. Um, so we do have a very large airband initiative that we started, I want to say about four or five years ago, which is to get broadband out to these rural areas so that they can participate in things like telehealth. I think originally it was really for the farming community to help them within, you know, obviously um, crops and things like that. But definitely um, it's top of mind around telehealth because of that. 
um, and also assisting and helping um, the federally qualified health centers, right? So we need to help them because that's where they are. They are mostly in those, uh, in critical access hospitals, they're mostly in those rural communities. So I agree with you 100% um, that we do need to be conscious of that. And I think that's gonna come down to what, so it's very difficult to engage those patients if they can't get connectivity, right? So that's why we have to work really hard to get them connectivity so that they can engage. But I think you're 100% right. I think that um, to Al Pesha's what he had said, it's really gonna be around compliance and regulatory, right? How do, how do we, um, as a government, right, US, how do we as a country decide that we're gonna care for everyone regardless of where they reside? And I would also say, like, we have to make, I don't call a patient, but consumer, take more action. More than patient, a consumer, yeah, take consumer. more action. So s patient is somebody who's already identified with the condition, but we have to go more one step ahead in preventive stage where we take as them as a consumer, make them take action, like put their diet, food information is their variable data in, uh, bring their uh, health records in through HIE's network or EMR integration create a data bank for the patient. Currently, a patient don't have, means I always compare health with wealth because everybody cares about their wealth more than their health. Everybody knows where their money is, but nobody knows where their data, healthcare and health and wellness data is. As a consumer, you should know where are my all the health records are. Where is my uh, lifestyle data? or elderly patient, it can be remote patient monitoring data. And where is my diet data? So if I go to provider, I can give them every information they need before they ask. Instead of them asking what did you eat last week, how much steps you walked, how much sleep you had, I can present them the whole data set and they will be able to make better decision on my health and give me a uh, preventive um, guidance rather than focus on um, treating disease or condition. Make sense? So it's going back to Chase app, right? It, in 2007, I downloaded Chase app. It will do nothing but find me a location nearby my house. Or, But now I can do everything through Chase app as a um, manage all my wealth. Uh, I can deposit my check. I can send money to my friends, everything. Same thing has to happen with healthcare, where patient has to have their complete healthcare in their hand. Yes, I know we are. Over. Oh, we're good over time. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Oh, oh, one okay. minute. Any other questions? So, I don't know if we answered you, but I totally agree. It's a problem. So, rural area, it has to start with the internet and broadband. But you know, patient engagement has to start with how it will help patient. Right? How patient, why patient will take that initiative to put their diet data in or their connect their variable devices in? It has to help with them somewhere, you know. Um, means we, one of the initiatives we are doing uh, at Rauku is we are generating a health score similar to credit score for a patient. So we, we instead of telling patient uh, what is, just like a wealth, you tell how, what is your credit score? And that defines how well you're doing financially. Same thing, you should have a health score that can define how well you are doing with your health. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you.